So I'm I'm curious. Uh, we all grew up uh, in in Christian homes. Um, what was it that your parents did not allow you to to watch, to listen to? What was what was your experience like growing up? Well, for me, I mean, I grew up as a as a Catholic as a child. Um, so my parents really did not have many restrictions on that. I only found restrictions afterwards is when I actually converted to uh, Protestantism. Mm. <laughs> and it was when I was 17 years old. And anyway, growing up in a Protestant kind of atmosphere or uh, culture, you know, the Halloween idea, the uh, Halloween was really, really a no-no. Dancing especially. Oh. Uh, smoking. Uh, not that I ever smoked. Um, but there was a lot of no's to a lot of things yep. that uh, that I got from that culture. Yeah. What about you, Jimmy? Um, two stand-up memories, Smashing Pumpkins and The Simpsons. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. I brought home a Smashing Pumpkins CD and uh, got home from school the day after I'd gotten it from my friend Adam Tyndale. Love Adam. Uh, and came home to it opened on my desk and my mom, what's this? And I remember still to this day, if uh, if I have the Simpsons on in our house, I I'm a married middle aged man, own family, own kids, and if I have the Simpsons on in our living room, my mom will mouth cluck. Still shouldn't be watching this. <laughs> Actually, love you, mom. You reminded me of something. I did remember once. I used to love meatloaf. Oh yeah. Oh boy, that was it. No, no, no. But anyway, so are talking, yeah. Are you talking about Bad Out of Hell? Yeah, uh, I yeah, just a, any other? just the name of the the song. Yeah. Um, I'm a '90s kid, so for me it was Harry Potter, uh, oh, Pokemon, yeah. oh. and um, my my dad, interestingly enough, had told uh, my aunt before he had the three of like me and my siblings that uh, he wouldn't let us listen to rock music, period. And um, me and my brother are both metalheads, so that's worked out great yep all right welcome back to the common room podcast we have paul joining us today and jimmy's here as well my name's dan (laughs) and today we're talking about uh the church and culture and how the two are meant to interact so i think maybe a helpful place for us to start our conversation today is just to like contextualize this conversation um when I was growing up in the church, something I would hear often is that Christians are meant to be set apart. Um, now that's terminology that comes from a bunch of different places in scripture. Mm-hmm. I think for me, the two that ping most, uh, most obviously to me are, um, the Israelites in the old Testament meant to be this nation that's set apart their God's chosen people. Um, and then that idea comes through a lot in the writings of Paul and the epistles. Um, it's used a little bit by Jesus in the New Testament. Jimmy, I don't know if you want to contextualize that further. Um, but it's this I- this idea, certainly the way that I was taught it as a, as a child was uh, that Christians are meant to be set apart from the world, that there are Christian, there's the Christian world and there's the secular world and they aren't meant to mix. And that's really kind of where we're headed today. Um, but yeah, go ahead, Jimmy. Yeah, well, I mean... Uh, uh, if you think about origins, um, yes. So the earliest trace elements of like a new kingdom, a new people that God is setting apart for himself is a people who have been systemically abused and obliterated by the known superpowers of the world at the time. 
Uh, and it's the brilliance of the compassionate heart of God is like, I'll take them, please. Mm. Set yourselves apart. And in other words, you've already been marginalized. I'm setting you apart for something new. And then, yes, God does use the the word is most typically, but not exclusively, consecration. So set yourselves apart as holy, uh, given over to, submitted to, and being cared for God by the divine. Um so so yes, it's a setting apart for the mission of God that is good that will redeem these people to then call the whole world into the the movement, the mission, the covenant of God, and then be a blessing. So the Israelites are set apart not to just be avoid, you know, stay away from, you know, it's it's the Israelites are called to enter into covenant with the divine. And by the way, there's only one God now. Um so these they're all they're also evolving towards it seems monotheism mm-hmm. in the in the witness of many other potential gods, uh, but then yeah it's a relational it's a relationship now it's a relational economy not just a transactional economy, and then you get to Jesus, um, Jesus motivating the mission of the church it doesn't actually use the word consecration as his key. A verb or, or descriptor, and nor does he actually use the word church, which is another fascinating part of the discussion. He only uses it a couple times, and it's not a description that Jesus coin, turns a phrase, coins a phrase on. He's mm-hmm. using, uh, like if we were to hop in a time machine, the three of us go back into first century Judaism and say Ecclesia, nobody there would be like, what are you talking about? They'd be like, yeah, the political gathering that makes decisions, espouses a philosophy, then goes and does it. Yeah, we know what you're talking about. And Jesus is like, exactly, exactly. That's what this body is. This is what should motivate you. It's like you are captured by the compelling witness of God in Jesus. You're captured by the compelling motivation to be an active force of good for the poor in particular in the world, and then to reconstitute what it means to be in relationship uh, with the divine and go. This is what the church, the body, the gathering should look like. It's in the extension of the hands, the feet, the limbs of God. Go and do likewise. Okay. So what I'm hearing in that, in that is the church, in terms of being set apart, is really meant to operate based on a, on a set of different motivational principles, perhaps. Yep. Super. Um, but when it comes to cultural values when it comes to things well we'll we'll get we'll get into a list in a second here um of uh cultural practices or um uh rituals yep um like how how is it that christians are meant to to interact with those aspects of culture so let's let's just use an example for instance holidays uh this is a big one so um I've certainly, uh, I, I didn't grow up in a household that, uh, was against the idea of Halloween, but that's, that's a, that's a common one I've Mm -hmm. heard. Um, how are we, yeah, maybe let's just start, Paul, I'd love to hear your experience on that. Um, and then also just going around the room, like, do we feel one way or the other strongly about can Christians participate in Halloween? What's a healthy way to do that? Or is it a, a no go? Let me just uh, pick up from where Jimmy kind of left. Sure, yeah. For me, the set-apart aspect, I would take it mostly, let's say, if I can give you a metaphor. Um, set-apart has to have within it purpose. Like here, Jimmy was saying, purpose and a function. So in the Old Testament, yes, um, the Jews, the Israelites, um, 
had a function and had a purpose based on what God was demanding from them and asking them to fulfill. So the set-apart aspect for me is to be able to be like, you're in the world, but not of the world. Mm. So that setting apart is like, let's just say the metaphor is you're going to make bread, right? You're going to have the flour, you're going to have the water, you're going to have the yeast and a little bit of sugar, right? So let's just say we take the concept of the yeast. That's going to be set apart for it to enter into the homogenization to be able to make bread. But yet again, it has its function. Mm. It's part of the formula. So what is it that we are trying to accomplish in the way I understand it with holidays and in the way you're going to bring this forward? So we, as the church, are set apart with a function and a purpose in the bigger picture. So that's how I would take it. Yeah. Um, so, and I would add to that from the way I understand to be set apart is that we are in the world, but not of the world. We have a part to play in that purpose. Yeah. yeah. So practically. Now practically. Yeah. Yes. How does that, how does look, that look? Um, so let's just say we take the aspect of Halloween. We can demonize it or we can redeem it. Mm. You know, there's a situation that the world participates or views this festivity or this, let's say this collective agreement, what Halloween should be like. It's, you know, to be able to do what we do at Halloween. Now, how is the church to participate with that? Are we supposed to shun it or are we supposed to look at it possibly from a perspective to say, here is an opportunity now for us to enter into the situation, but what is really our purpose, yeah. right? So I would take it from a perspective now, from a church perspective, is that I would look at it as an opportunity to be able to engage as opposed to opportunity to shun. Hmm. Okay. Jimmy? Agreed. I would have little to add. I mean, Halloween is one of few cultural traditions that has deeply, almost exclusively Christian roots. Mm. Halloween, All Hallows' Eve. It was a celebration of saints that then, I mean, there is some trace elements of Druidic and pagan traditions, but like it's it's just not the root. So I would agree with Brother Paul as like, we can either avoid what it's become or we can be in the act of work of like the kingdom of God and restor restoration and redemption. Uh, and just paying attention to how the spirit is moving in culture, like what other, uh, and there there are things to avoid. So for those of us listening that have, are longstanding church members, don't hear me or us saying like, you dress up as demons, put blood and gore and da da da. Like, no, I think there's elements where what what is the, how is that in any way redemptive and reflective of Jesus? It's not. So there are some things like, hold on here, hold on here, not of the world. You know, but there are neighbors coming to your house for a dignified, Jesus-oriented, potentially human interaction. And I don't, I'm not convinced that our best posture in that is to be like, God has called us as a, as a movement of called out ones, except for that one night, close your door, uh, turn off the lights, don't offer any candies. And if you offer anything, cheese ball, Christian tracks, sorry, <laughs> I'm not about that life. Yeah, I, it's pretty crazy. Like, I can't think of another time in the year where it's culturally acceptable to really, like, interact with the people. Purposefully engage with the people who are walking down your street. Yeah. What an opportunity, yeah. right? Like, what what an opportunity to to build some level of relationship. I mean, if, if, that, if that's what sparks a, hey, you know, like, come for a barbecue next weekend and, like, let's get to know each other better kind of thing. Yeah. Like, I don't know. It's just the opportunity is there. And, and, that's, and it's important to... to keep balance too. like any of these conversations that we have together on the podcast, there's always the devil's advocate in my head 
of like wonderful, very more conservative leaning Christian brothers, sisters, and mentors that I've had that I'm like, oh, I know what they would say here. Yeah. You know? And so I do want to play that back a little bit. And that I, I one um, older Christian mentor of mine who loves Jesus has given his life to and for the church, full stop. Love him. He, he would say, why does it have to be just that day? Absolutely. Like, is that it? Come yeah. on. Like, yeah. do something more. Sure, participate in Halloween, but not just for the sake of like gorging, gratification, demonic activity. Like if you're really going to, are going to play back that line, Jimmy and Dan and Paul of like, oh, one year or one time a year, you get to show me the other days of the year where you're having those neighbors over for coffee, tea, beer, barbecue, whatever it is. And if the answer is never, sorry, that argument does not hold water with me. For sure. Yeah. Let it lead to something bigger, something better. Um, there, I feel like there's some other ones we could touch on here. I mean, Christmas, obviously a, uh, I, well, certainly the roots, the exclusively roots are pagan. pagan, exclusively pagan. It turns into this, uh, Christian holiday mm-hmm. and then becomes, you could argue today, it has kind of gone back to really being secularized, really being like steeped heavily in consumerism. Yep. Um, and but the roots are exactly what we just talked about. Yeah. It was some Christian Jesus oriented leaders are like the whole world kind of focuses in on this particular time of year, winter solstice, Saturnalia, celebration of Jupiter, whatever, whatever pagan tradition you're coming at. Let's redeem this as like a central celebration for the risen Christ, the incarnate Christ Mm. and his birth will move the date. So it was an act of redemption and also subversion um, of, of pagan idolatry, really. You know, so I think that does hold water lest we like cast out Halloween into the abyss. It's like, hold on here. Yeah. This one time a year we're like, Jesus was born on December 25th. No, he wasn't. <laughs> what? I remember the first time I learned that in university. Yeah. In university, I was like, I remember arguing with a friend of mine. He's like, you know that Jesus was not born on December 25th. I'm like, yes, he was. Went up into the computer lab, went on the internet and we're like, oh, what? Why was I never taught this? You know what I mean? Yeah. And you may have just shocked some of our listeners. Sorry about that. <laughs> I, blame, I blame Paul. <laughs> I'll take the blame. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Okay. So so holidays. So we'll kind of park that one there. I think uh, another really interesting one to talk about is um, music and movies and other forms of media. Um, often what I have heard um, from the uh, maybe a cons- more conservative Christian perspective in terms of separation is music and movies are full of uh, violence or they um, they propagate sexuality, um, that they are, are vulgar or grotesque in some ways. Um, how do we, yeah, how do we interact with different forms of, uh, of media, uh, music, of movies, shows these kinds of things yeah i think if you're nervous about violence war grotesqueness sexuality um blood you shouldn't read the bible yeah all in there too you know what i mean however there's also again coming back to the 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 redemptive nature of god in jesus um it's it is, we do need to be conscious of, A, caring for the younger, the lesser, mm. um, what causes our, our family, our sister, our brother to stumble and struggle. Um, and yeah, 
willing to to lean in to support you know um i th- yeah so i i don't think there's any wisdom coming from a tradition where it is a clear cut broad swath of like here are the movies and the ratings yeah that you don't like pg13 was a no go non-starter yeah and even pg movies not sure about that either yeah. definitely no non-christian music um and you know my experience as a musician when i was a teenager is that the majority of not all of it but the majority of christian music as the greek says sucks like it's just like and then there's amazing non-christian music there's some non-christian music obviously that sucks too (laughs) you know but then i was discovering through friends of like mind-blowing music that i'm like i've never even heard of this where how what and then the suspicion of my christian parents for me i'm like what are you what else are you hiding that is really amazing wonderful da 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 so again any pendulum that swings is bound to swing back the other way um, so I think re- having a relational outlook uh, is is probably a good, healthy starting place. I'll give you an example from my own life with my oldest daughter, Caitlin. Caitlin uh, will be 20. She is as introverted, sweet, wonderful as the day is long. She does not like scary things, scary movies, scary shapes, scary colors. No, 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 no. Ever since she was little. Um I do, <laughs> you know, like I do love scary movies. And so I was like, oh, there's this movie that is based on a book that both of us have read and had uh, had had read and had interest in. And I was like, I'm going to surprise her. We're going to go on a daddy daughter date. This is last year. Yeah. Last year. So recent, you know, um, and I surprised her. We get to the movie theater and she's like, oh, we're going to a movie. This is so fun. We're in the popcorn line. She's like, what movie are we seeing? <laughs> and I told her what movie and she just shut down. She's like, oh, daddy. I know this is interesting to you. It will scare me. I won't sleep well. Now, I could have the religious mind and be like, suck it up. Like, come on. No, we're going to do it. God has redeemed all of it. You'll be fine. Which honestly, in line, we'd already bought the tickets. So I'm like, oh, you know. Um, But I want to care for my daughter. She genuinely is like, I'm scared to do this i don't want to do this it won't be a healthy thing for her for us for our relationship and so we went and saw indiana jones or no we went and saw mission impossible which okay indiana jones i was going to say that's a horror movie of it it's just a different kind of horror (laughs) yes yeah and it was wonderful so what's the point of being there is it the relational commodity of our relation is it the relation relational um equity of being together or is it me convincing caitlin to see a movie that she never wanted to see in the first place you know, like mm-hmm. it's it's not causing your brother, sister, daughter, uncle, whoever to stumble. And we need to be mindful of that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Paul? Sure. Back again to set apart or with this idea of having purpose and function. I see how you took it from holidays, which is mostly corporate. Now we're going down to more specifics, like what affects you singularly. Like it's, um, it's mm-hmm. the outcome, like when you look at, uh, let's say, music. Uh, or movies, or or let's say the media. Now it's more applicable individually, almost mm-hmm. as opposed to corporately. Um, I have this um, this mindset that you know there's a good and bad in everything, whether it's the holidays, the music, but there's also, like I said earlier, is you know do we demonize them or we redeem them? There's always these opportunities that we are faced with each and every time to be able to deal either corporately now or now individually. To be able to say, here's another opportunity for me. Okay. Um, sometimes we look too much more at the content than the purpose or the function why we are 
to be able to face these things because we're going to face them. Yeah. I mean, we should not pretend as as a church, um, you know, that the culture is not there. But as a function, having, sorry, as a church having a function, and then as an individual within the church having a more specific function, how do we face these situations? Mm. So I look at it from the perspective again, as here is another opportunity. I mean, even if I look at Jesus, I mean, he faced the same things, but from a different situation. He faced, you know, he faced the group or the religious group. He faced, you know, uh, situations where things were being brought to him to be challenged by and even to almost be <laughs> tripped by. Yep. You know, he always looked at it as opportunity. He never ran away. He just simply, you know, answered or, or, or displayed himself in a way to be able to redeem situations, to be able to bring unity as opposed to dysfunction. Yeah. So for me, I look at all these things that, yes, it's it's a sword that has two edges, but you know what? But it's in the way we kind of face them, in the way we take them as challenge for us to be able to have the setting apart or our function or our purpose as an opportunity. I, I like that. I think um, going too far down the line of... Uh, kind of limiting the the type of the type of content or media that we consume gets really legalistic yes and paying attention to the the intent uh behind art i think is so pivotal to like how you consume it and what causes you to what what might cause someone to stumble or struggle with yeah. with uh one type of media may not happen for another person um but one thing if you yeah. don't mind me saying is yeah. i mean i do also agree with uh what jimmy was saying i mean you know, we also got to be real and, you know, like we also have to have influence, not just purpose and function. So let's just say like he was saying about his daughter, you know, or a younger person. I mean, we are there also to help them grow, to be able to become, you know, good society members as well. So it's not just a free for all. I mean, you got, we got to distinguish that as well. I mean, I'm speaking from a perspective in the way I would respond to this being 63 years old today. But at the same time, I do have grandchildren right now, and I still have to be able to facilitate how I can function within kind of, I don't want to say dominate them, but in the way that I want to liberate them to be able to start to help them think what is good and what is bad. Yeah. So I will look at that from that perspective. Yeah. You know, so, I mean, it's that's the way I would. It's yeah. interesting. We have like a multi-staged experience. Dan, newly married. Me, not so newly married, but both kids still living at home. And then you have grandchildren. Can, Paul, can you say more about, um, so when your kids were young, say yes. like single digits young, what you were part of a Pentecostal church at the That's right, time? Yes. Okay. So how did this, did you face that then of like, I don't want my kids watching, oh. listening to, doing this, this, and this? I uh, One specific example comes to mind. And uh, I grew up, um, I grew up as a Roman Catholic. So as a Roman Catholic, in in my experience, you know, there was not a lot of limitations, okay? Mm -hmm. You know, we went to church just as that's what you do. Um, but when I was 17 years old, um, I, um, I became a Protestant or basically I, I changed my denomination of the way I kind of saw the way I was to serve God or worship God mm -hmm. or follow his ways. And it became a little bit more personal for me at that juncture. So anyway, growing up, I... I I got converted into a Pentecostal movement, which I love. And um, and to be honest with you, it was more of a conservative type of a movement. 
whereby there was a lot of rules and regulations just to be able to help us stay within a certain mindset, mm-hmm. right? So my son came to me, I'm just going to jump very quickly. Yeah. My son came to me when he was about, I could get the years wrong, but between seven and nine. How many kids do you have? I have three children Children's. and nine grandchildren. And 10, it's 10 is on the way. Okay. So, <laughs> so I guess I'm following, you know, to the multiply thing. Right. Very well. <laughs> <laughs> you know, be fruitful and multiply, yeah. so to speak. So anyway, he comes up to me one day, you know, he's in school and his friends are, at that time, they were, some of them were wearing earrings. So right away, he came to me, Frank is his name. He says, dad, he goes, you know, is it okay if I get an earring? And I looked straight at him in the eyes. I said, son, I said uh, to him straight out. I said, do you see an earring in my ear? <laughs> I said, that's your answer. But later on um, in my journey, um, I entered into a different type of a mindset from within the Protestant movement. And um, I was introduced to an Anabaptist type of a mind, um, which I attend to right now. It's called the Meeting House here in Oakville. And um, I started to be broadened in my conditioning what a Christian should be or shouldn't be like. Mm-hmm. You know, it almost, I would say I was more legalistic and I started to enter a journey of becoming, let's say, deconstructed from that, if I can use that term, yep, right? And I got to a point that uh, while I was in that movie, I mean, I was throwing the Little Mermaids movies out because, you know, these are yeah. bad things. You know, I, w- I was told and I was being obedient to the culture that I belonged to and I I accepted it. You know, I accepted that that was not right. And I acted accordingly. But as I started to deconstruct in from that mindset, I, I had to approach my son at that time. And I apologized to him. And I said, son, I said, the earring situation, I said, was not about you. It was more about my ego and me being in a circle of a group of people that I belong to. And I did not want to be able to face the shame of you wearing an earring. So I took it on myself to be able to take that position and told you no. But it really was all about me in, in, in sustaining my understanding of what it is to be set apart. Yeah. And was there a moment where that shifted for you? Was it like a, a, a reading, an experience with Jesus, a, a, a push on your heart by the Spirit to be like, hey, I want to address the, specifically with you, Paul, the earring thing? Or was it just like a slow burn of like, oh, man. I wonder why I thought it's like a slow burn of self-awareness. Um, I would say, I don't want to mystify it, but basically I was under a different type of teaching or maybe I would even take it to a point where I would say a different interpretation of how it is that I was introduced to this Jesus of the scriptures. Yep. And that has helped me um, in in the Anabaptist movement, you know, I to be honest with you, I never even was of the opinion of a just war theory, let's just say, previous to me being introduced to a pacifist type of a Jesus of Scripture. Yeah. Right? So there was a lot of transition taking place for me within even the Protestant movement. Um, but yes, yeah, so it wasn't just, uh, you know, I got zapped and, you know, the Holy Spirit just opened up my mind. Yep. It was a sequence so of process. teachings and interpretations and dialoguing for me to come to that realization. Yeah. Okay, now I have a question for you, Dan. Okay. You grew up brethren, yeah. which is interesting because we're talking about like um, 
so the, the gentleness and the softness that God is by his spirit working in your heart is so interesting that's led you towards or helped you to find community in an Anabaptist tradition that has its roots with Mennonite strategy, structure, and policy that completely abandoned urban centers to be completely separate and segregated from the the world and culture at the time, which is kind of the tradition that you grew up in, mm-hmm. brethren. Mm-hmm. So what was your experience then? CDs, movies, Little Mermaid? Yeah. So I think it's, what's interesting to me, just looking back on my childhood experience when it comes to this stuff is there were a long list of things that were influ that seemed to be influenced by like magic, sorcery, um, anything that had notes of this kind of stuff. It was like stay. Like you, know. you were told, taught this. Yes, yeah. stay a million These things miles are away from it. influenced. Yep, yep. Um, Got it. We've talked a lot on this podcast about like the satanic panic. Like that was very much part of the influence. Yeah. What's interesting to me is that something that kind of skipped that filter was um, violence. I found actually, uh, even in my young adolescence, that I was exposed to movies and um, if they they had like an educational quality to them, historical films, these kinds of things, violence, totally, yeah, totally like cool with that. Like there's a place for that. It's totally welcome, which is so interesting now in contrast to I think I think more critically now about uh, consuming violent content yeah. than I do about any of this other stuff, really, um, because to me the 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 real implication of um, of violence in media is like it it sort of normalizes it in some ways. That's what you expect. Um, yep. Yeah, and I don't, I don't know how 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 strongly I'd go down this line of like movies and video, like violent movies and violent video games make people more violent. But I do think, uh, and we talked about this in episode one with Quincy and, and Samuel about peace and nonviolence, peace and nonviolence, just about how violence weeds its way into our language, it weeds its way into our way of thinking about the world, and subtly sort of takes us, uh, takes us over. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it influences our thinking in um, ways we don't, we aren't necessarily even cognizant of. Do you know how much that messed me up when they brought up the fact that they, there's just violence in language? Like, oh, you're going to kill it, or yeah, ah, I, should, I, should, I should punch you right now. Like, you know, break a leg. There's just like a violence in a lot of language. And I feel like that's one of those things that's going to stick in the back of my head for the rest of my life. Yeah. Every time I say something like that now, yeah. I think of that, I think of them on the couch like it's so true it comes up almost daily that i catch myself it's it's given me pause like yesterday i said something and i was like oh i I just caught myself for a second i was like that's weird that we just like use those kinds of words and that's not to make it legalistic right there's nothing i i certainly wouldn't wouldn't uh go and say like um avoid these things at all costs or if you say you use some kind of language here's a list of the metaphor like avoid that it's just, it's something to pay attention to mm-hmm. um, because I think there's ways in which violence seeps its way into our language that we are, are into our worldview, into our way of thinking that we don't even really think about. And yeah. and so I wonder how that, um, how that, that influence might work in other ways as mm-hmm. well. Um, so yeah, I, I, I'm not, I'm not really sure where I, where I land on this one because, um, 
art is such a complicated thing. Yeah. And I think there's there's real value in portraying aspects of the world that are very, like, very much a part of it. Yeah. Violence, sexuality, whatever these things are. Can we hold a certain level of separation and appreciate that this is this this piece of art is maybe trying to teach us something about the world and 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 tell it in a very real way yep. without it influencing us to somehow participate. Um yep. I think some some art does that well. Yeah. Some art is there just to gratify it, just to indulge in it. And I think that maybe some critical thinking is yeah. deservedly. That's just such a fascinating and like cathartic <laughs> conversation for me. Willem, I want to come back to a conversation that you and I had yesterday around a lunch table. First of all, it's again, age and stage. So now we're going from like to the youngest in the room. Um, two questions. One, you grew up pretty conservative as well. Christian Reformed Church, right? Yes, sir. And that was your whole life, parents, grandparents, all the things. Yep. From Dutch immigrants, okay. uh, grandparents, yep. and then yeah, always Christian Reformed. Okay. So there's that. Now, like juxtapose you have an interest and really love anime so how because i'm like even the the religious mind in me of hearing things like that like even when you said pokemon dan i'm like it just makes my heart shudder because of like the parental impact similar to you paul Mm -hmm. like they it wasn't like they got zapped by the spirit and therefore said tell little jimmy no smashing pumpkins and no earrings Uh -uh." you know it was more just the tradition of their community that they're like we found faith and wholeness and life here yeah seems to be these are the parameters so we'll go with it so how did help walk me through crc in the roots to willem likes anime that that that's such a great question so my i i have like I'm an artist. I did. I grew up drawing all the time. Um, my, I've got artistry on all sides of the family. Carpenters, um, sculptors. Um, my dad is just a phenomenal artist. Um, and it, it's so funny that you mentioned Pokemon because that, like, when I first saw that, my my child brain, like, my third eye opened. So like, oh, the third eye. Just don't send your cards and letters. <laughs> Save your emails. Just... <laughs> Just the imagination of like, oh, I can just draw little guys. And so, but because I had parents who were also artistic like that, they really, really encouraged me okay. to, to keep going. And I remember, uh, like would see you draw and say, amazing. They're so interesting. And, and there were times when I would be working, I'd be drawing on something and I made it like six or seven and it was bedtime and they would just be like, all right, stay up a, another half hour just to finish because they knew I couldn't go to sleep if I wasn't done drawing. And I have memories of, of when, when I'd sit in church, cause I grew up CRC. So we'd have a, like, if, if ever at the meeting house, you think like, oh man, they're talking a little long. They're at 34 minutes. Come to our CRC church. 34 minutes Double it. is a breathe. <laughs> yeah. And so I'd sit and on the back of the bulletin, they had a notes section. That was a notes. I was just sitting there drawing and I remember one time I drew, we were, they're talking about Revelation, I drew the the dragon with the 10 horns and 10 crowns on each horns, which that's hard to draw, by the way. That's yeah. a lot of detail. A lot of, I'd like to see that. A lot of Revelation. Yeah. And, uh, but I, I, I did that and then my mom actually took it and then gave it to the, um, to the pastor. And I think he was surprised because I think he just thought I wasn't paying attention, but it was like a moment of like, oh no, you're using 
art to kind a of creative medium. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so just throughout all of that, I've just always been interested in art. And that just led me to, I always like, because of Pokemon cartoons and, you know, drawn TV shows. And it just kind of led me there. Um, and that just brings me to what you were saying, Dan, about the intent behind art. Yeah. Because in my life, I've studied art. I've done figure drawing. I've studied the human form. There are beautiful, beautiful sculptures of nude, you know, beings. David. Exactly, yeah. And there is a really weird thing. And I remember being a young man dealing with this. And, you know, I I was looking at a, a naked figure and I was like, there wasn't anything sexual about it. Right. It was just like, it was a form and I was looking at the art and then I think that, again, something clicked of like, there's there's there can be a difference. It's a way to, yeah. If you look at these arts, if you just look at it as this is a naked body, like, that's, that's only one way to look at it. If you look at it through, they're trying to expose like the, the, the beauty of the form and especially like in the Renaissance yeah. when it was a lot of like, religious things as well like this is the beauty in god's image like we are making this person in beauty yeah um yeah so it's that is one of those things that i think says more about us than it does about the art when we interpret it in a certain way and can only help but sexualize the human form and not see it for the beautiful creation of god that it is um yeah so i mean uh, I, those stories are to me just great examples of like mm-hmm. it really is how you interact with the art form and less about like whatever the the surface level perception of, yeah. of what that art is portraying. And the beauty of your parents <laughs> not chastising that in you, not saying put that listen, put that down, listen, you know. So like pay attention to that. That's amazing. You know, um, just to keep adding, I mean, I I understand the set apart dysfunction. You know, it's let's take it to an extreme. I mean, okay, these are things that we're talking about. Let's take atomic power, for instance, mm. right? I mean, atomic power can be a great commodity that we can rally behind. You know, it's a cheaper way of energy. It's it's a good thing. But in the hands of the wrong person, it's very devastating. Yeah. Mm. And as uh, it's Will, right? Yeah. As Will was saying is, I think what we need to start being set apart with the function and the purpose is to try to become holistic in the way we are using medians, are using certain things that we're facing in the world. And not to pretend that they're not there because the expression is always there, but how are we now gonna take that situation, seeing its result or devastation and try to implement or how do you say it, be a catalyst towards letting it not get into the wrong hands, for instance, or even if it does get into wrong hands, what is our function to try to be able to help and make sure that that person or system has to be modified, not by dominating it, but by cooperating with it somehow? And and really, this is where I see, because obviously all you three have kind of been immersed in church. I came to faith much later in life, and actually in the last six or seven years, I'm almost going through a full deconstruction to try to understand, like, how would Jesus deal with these situations? Are we actually being that set-apart group to be able to bring redemption and cooperation to be able to bring about healing as opposed to 
devastation. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's let's continue this conversation and 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 uh, introduce some new subject material. Okay. So, um, we talked about holidays. We've talked about okay, music yes. and movies. Let's turn up the spice meter a little bit. <laughs> um, commerce and business. So we live in a world that is uh, increasingly um, based on trying to sell things to people. Yep. Um, uh, that's not necessarily a new phenomenon, but I, I, I do think in a lot of ways we kind of live at the height of it. Mm-hmm. How do we operate in a world that is driven by money? Um, Jesus says you cannot serve both God and money at the same time. Like, what do we, what do we do with a passage like that? And what does it look like to take that idea of being set apart in the business world? Paul, I think you have so much expertise here. Do you want to share a little bit of what you do in your day job when you're not filming a podcast with yeah. Crazy Adams? <laughs> I guess? Well, I do run, I do run two businesses, and uh, I've been doing it actually since I was 20 years old. So it's been a long time. Um, actually, I was talking to somebody earlier, and and actually, I did have to confess to him. I said the hardest part of running a business, I said, is not actually the product I'm producing is in maintaining the structure by which I am making that product available to the market. Mm. I said it's dealing with people, mm. dealing with my my staff and dealing with yep. my clients and dealing with, you know, um, dealing in the way we should be, let's just say, being examples, um, you know, because obviously we do need the money to be able to buy the bread so we can eat and be here tomorrow. So I don't really see a bad thing in in the situation of, the money aspect in the way you have explained that there, sure. you know, yeah. but it's the love after going after that money where you are actually going to now control and subvert and and and, uh, um, and use it, you know, to gain power, you know, so, and I think that's what Jesus was actually dealing with. He's saying, you know, we do need to be able to provide, you know, but if your only goal is to be able to get that provision for you to get bigger and stronger as opposed to get that provision to offer that service. But at the same time, by the way you build that service, which is your community now, how are you dealing with that? So for me in business, it has been um, that I pay a lot of attention to my client base um, and also my staff base. And that's really has been my strongest challenge is to be able to keep that at bay from a business perspective. But you're right. I mean, if I look at from the other perspective is that we are so conditioned that we always feel that we never have enough and we need to keep getting more. And it almost becomes, you become almost an enslaved to a system by which at the end of the day, mm-hmm. you say like, I'm a slave to this. Yeah, what do I have to, yeah. yeah. You know? What do I have to show for this? Um, There's this scaling that seems to happen where, I mean, there's the the age old saying, it's not age old, but it, it's a, rings true i think uh you know more money more problems yeah. like they the richer or they the more we accumulate the more we have to maintain um and i experienced this in my own life like i managed to uh move out of my parents house two years ago buy my first place and immediately i went from a certain level of uh stability i had you know paying for what expenses i had at home to all of a sudden having all these other bills I had to be paying. And, um, you know, 
it was it was an incredible financial achievement for me to be able to 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 move into my own place. But all of a sudden, I needed more money. Like I I I could not subsist um, with with the income I had at the time, and I had to like you know think about ways to remedy that, uh, take extra work on the side, these kinds of things. Like, and I do feel like that that continues to happen all the way up the ladder. Is mm-hmm. like there's always a bigger car payment or a bigger house payment or uh healthier food where I'm going to put on the table or nicer clothes that I'm going to uh, dress myself in, these kinds of things, like more subscription services so that I can watch shows on Netflix and on Amazon Prime. Um, that's not a sponsor. Pass, by the way, uh, don't sue me. Um, yeah, like it is a rat race, it feels like. And um, it's, it's built in. Uh, how do we get away from it? Yeah, it it's true. Like the 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 ladder is such a phenomenal image because it's almost like it's it's like a um, an escalator ladder mm-hmm. that it just keeps rolling. Sebastian Maniscalco, who's a hilarious comedian, he has a bit about his early days in comedy where he's like, "This is I just know that this is what I was born to do," and he's like, "I just wanted to get to a place where I could afford the guacamole." <laughs> You know, yeah. that like just whatever restaurant I went to, they're like, do you want a guacamole with that? It's it's extra. I'd be like, yeah, give me the guacamole. He's like, and now I, I can afford the guacamole, but there's there's guacamole after the guacamole. There's this, this, you know, and it, it just never stops. And then it r- reminds me of a, a good friend of mine who is a is a business leader. Um, he's he's owned a business and he's also been a plant and corporate manager. So managing hundreds of staff. Um, and he said to me years ago, he's like, Jimmy, cause same thing as a pastor, I've always wrestled with like, Hey, it's so weird to be paid by an organization that's run with and for volunteer. How, why do I, and how do I draw money from this? Yeah. So I've always just thought about like, how can I not need to be dependent on that? And what's an achievable income, all those things. And he said to me years ago, he's like, Jimmy, honestly, it's a revolving door. Once you make Sixty thousand or fifty thousand dollars, whatever it is, a year, which is, by the way, a ton of money in the known world. But for conversation's sake, fifty thousand or sixty thousand dollars a year, nothing is different beyond them. It's mm-hmm. just scale. Mm-hmm. So don't pay attention to the amount. Pay attention to what you do with your money, how you provide for your family, and for you, uh, how you care for uh, care for those that you care about. Which has always stayed with me. I'm like, yeah, hmm. But I think a lot of us whether you're making less or have made less, we do have this strange mindset. I don't know where it comes from. Like, well, hey, once I make, mm, yeah. or once I'm at that mm, position, then, and then you get there and you're like, there's nobody up here. Like, what are we doing? Yeah. Why is this, why was this a goal of mine or ours? Um, and what to do when you reach the top or that plateau and you're like, oh, yeah, it's not what I thought. Yeah. Paul would love to hear from you as somebody owning businesses, managing, running, leading businesses. How do you navigate the like when is enough is enough? What's equitable? How do you navigate a Jesus-centered spirituality as an owner of a business in a capitalistic well culture okay. and society? Okay, so I'll take it from a family perspective. Sure. Like I said, I have three children, all married, and um, they all have children of themselves. Um it is a family run business that I that I that I run. And um, and I look at myself now. I'll, I'll qualify this. 
because I got to be careful how I say this. I am very patriarchal mm. in in the way I see myself. Um, and But I don't see it from a patriarchal for me to be able to usurp and get. I see it from a perspective that God has given me children and I am there to provide and protect them. That is what I believe and I hold that very high. So how do I go about doing that? So I need to be able to feed them and I need to be able to trust them and I need to be able to put a house that they can live in. Um, and I don't see anything wrong with that for me to aspire to these needs that they have. So what do I do with that? So the way I go about doing this is that whatever it is that I am able to generate with the health that God's given me and the mind that God's given me for me to be able to do commerce in the world is that I provide for them and I protect them and I feed them. But there's going to be a point now that I've done this for them. Now, and this is how I talk to my children. I'll say, okay, I did this for you. We sacrificed. We did whatever we needed to do to provide this for you. But now you got to make that sustainable to do it for your children. Mm -hmm. And this is how we have used finances. And I'm not saying this in any way. That's why I said I want to qualify this, is that if I look at other situations, because I do have other workers that work for me, and to be quite honest with you, is a lot of them are struggling, uh, in, especially in today's world. And, and it's not a matter, it's just what it is, right? And like you said, it's, uh, sometimes you can give them some advice. It's not how much you make. It's not it's how much you're able to keep. You know, Be careful in what you yeah, spend, right? Yeah. But I mean, okay, this only goes so far. But so within what I can control, within my own family, we are very strict about that. You know, We are very strict about the resources that we have, and we harness them well. For us, with the understanding is that we're not depending on it as if it is our only means, but it is the means by which we put bread on our table and roofs over our head. So this is how we deal with our finances. But I can tell you another thing too is when it comes to consumer, consumerism and capitalism, and this is what you talked about violence a bit earlier. Yeah. The idea is that the only reason I don't have what I have is because he has it. You understand? Yeah, the scarcity and, mindset. That's right. And um, But it works for our family. And I don't think I'm any special or God has a favor on me because he has given me resources. But it's because we have decided to be able to steward those resources. And and to this day, I live on this, is that most people give, let's say, their inheritance when they die. For me, my inheritance is already shared now because I want to enjoy it with the very things that, and, and that has been my philosophy. And for us, it has worked. But we're not looking at the money. We're looking at the means by which money sustains us. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. And it's helpful. Anyway, that's how I see it. Yeah. Um, can I can I ask a yeah. question that's out of uh, left field? Yep. So this is going all the way back to the um, like Halloween, Christmas, uh, going into culture. Um, you know, Israelites kind of had the uh, the Mosaic Law to keep them apart, to show them separate, and now we're kind of like going out and being in culture. Do you think there is a line? We're getting immersed in a culture while you're like spreading the gospel, you can get too immersed. And I have I have a specific example in mind, and I love this story. And if you've ever heard of the village of Shingo in Japan, um, that is apparently where Jesus is buried. Um, ah. 
So they the the story goes what? that in his twenties, Jesus actually like in the missing years, they call it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jesus actually went to Japan. A little trip. Yep. Uh, learned about Japanese culture there, and then when he came back before he was crucified, the Holy Land he was talking about was Japan. Hmm. Um, and then, and he actually wasn't crucified. It was his brother. Um, I believe his brother's name was like Itsuki. Um, totally great Hebrew name. Yep. Um, actually died on the cross instead, and then Jesus fled to Japan where he lived to the ripe old age of 106. And what most people think happened is some Christian missionaries came over at some point in history, and the story just kind of didn't translate well um, at a time when you know J- uh, Japan was persecuting Christian missionaries who are coming in and disrupting things. Yes. Um, and so now there is, there's still a, in, in the village, there's still a culture of, you know, this is where Jesus died, but it's kind of missing the point of Jesus dying somewhere else mm. for our sins. But I mean, who knows what happened there when the missionaries got there, but they went into another culture and tried to work themselves in and the message got distorted along like, the way. Mm. Yeah, I think um, not in all traditions, but many of the prosperity gospel traditions, I think that's a good like allegory for the same is like, hold on here. No, the, the mission and motivation for Jesus' life, death, and resurrection is not more zeros in your bank account and cooler shoes. You know, so does Jesus want to bless you with wealth and health and prosperity? Maybe as an outflow of how you'll serve the world with it, but as the principal like mm. commodity that that's area one, wealth, health, prosperity, check, check, check. No, no. And I think that's a great example of like, we kind of have the story, but we've missed the plot, you know? So same thing. And unfortunately, bring it back to church and culture, I, I think that's what... Um, culture is looking at the church and experiencing paul and i were at a conference last week last week yes um and there was two uh, uh, two leaders um influential christian leaders that were presenting both from very different ages and stages uh and nancy the first presenter who'd be in her 60s yes probably yeah um she said when i was growing up if you were to ask culture like tell me one word or one line about church what do you think it was boring church is boring and then we heard from Samantha, her daughter, and said, okay, now you, from your generation, yeah. one line or one phrase to describe church, what do you think? It's hypocrite. hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. Yeah. You say one thing, you perform up there, but you do not that, live this way. Yeah. Yeah. That is, that feels, that feels spot on. Um, I had a, I, I had a thought and I wanted to, <laughs> I just wanted to carry off briefly on the, the um, prosperity gospel thing. Okay. Because I think um, this is this has been recent for me. I have uh, my whole life really thought like, you know, that's just it's just such a crazy phenomenon. This idea of the prosperity, prosperity gospel that like you real quick just elaborate on prosperity gospel. Yeah, so maybe I maybe I won't uh, do it fully justice, but it's the idea. I think it came out of a lot of like televangelist yes. uh, type of culture where there would be um it's it's really a christian tradition focused around meeting material needs around uh uh increasing someone's individual 
uh, wealth and doing that through prayer. And often it, it unfortunately involved some sort of gimmick that this televangelist would use to get people to send money in and mm -hmm. people would become extremely wealthy because of it. So you had some of these televangelists buying like multiple private jets, massive homes. And, still, um, it still happens to this day. And I thought, you know, how, how does this even happen? How do people fall into this? This seems so foolish. Like how can, how can the message become so distorted that people are focused entirely on money? And there, yeah, I have been humbled to some degree. Um, simply considering the thought that, uh, material, uh, stability, um, financial stability for some people is so, it is, it's so, uh, far from them. They feel they need to turn to God really to, to it's meet. so impossible that only God could do that. Only God can make me whole again, can, can, uh, help me escape from the debt that I'm buried under. Um, when you are in that place, it is so debilitating. It's so all consuming, um, of your, of your daily thoughts, uh, that, I, I can't imagine finding yourself in a place where you are are willing to do and believe and try anything to get out mm -hmm. of that place. And I don't have any like empathy for, for the people perpetrating that exploit this, it, that exploit it and exploit that, that type of desperation. But I have so much more empathy and compassion for the people that, that get caught up get in, caught in it. Um, because yeah, I think that, uh, I have lived a privileged life enough not to know that kind of desperation. But that's not everybody's story. Yeah. And it's a double hit too. It's a triple hit because A, you've got somebody who is desperate, cannot find themselves out of indebtedness uh, and poverty. B, they've found some semblance of family and community and uh, vitality in relationships with this church. And then C, they have a paid professional, holy person, anointed person who's just feeding them this. So I agree. You can understand how you can get trapped in that mindset. It's like, well... I don't, I don't know how to do this myself. I really want to submit to the Lordship of God and, and the blessing that he must have for my life. And there's the person, the rags to riches story, the paid professional holy person or people yeah. that are doing it. So I guess I'll take out my credit card and give to the church out of debt, not out of offering. Right. Yeah. Okay. So we've kind of, we've cover the full gambit here in terms of like culture and how we interact with it. I wonder, uh, as we've had this conversation, I know that's true for me. Uh, you know, we benefited from all of our different perspectives here, Paul, I, I benefited from yours certainly and Jimmy as well. Um, how do we go into the world as Christians and interact with the world around us in these various aspects? Are there parts of this conversation that pinged for you that made you think maybe differently, uh, different approach or what, yeah, what's that one thing that you're kind of taking away from this conversation? Well, I can start. I mean, we, we actually did not, we talked a lot about many things, but we only, I think, touched the surface of uh, many <laughs> aspects, you know, yeah, in an hour. But if I was to take it again with the set apart understanding this, this having purpose and function, the word that comes to me is collaboration. Mm. Um, that's a big word for me. And, um, and the way I see it is that if I'm going to be looking at everything that we talked about, I have to take an approach that I'm collaborating with the Spirit of Jesus in a way that I am going to resist nonviolently for whatever it is that faces me. 
So I am not there to pretend that it's not there. I am there to resist it, but I'm there to resist it in a way not to be able to bring division, but hopefully to be able to bring salt into it, if I can use that term. It might hurt a little bit if it's an open wound, but at the same time, it's going to preserve it and it's going to help it heal. Um, so for me, collaboration is a great big word. And like I gave you the example in finances with my own family, we all collaborate together towards the goal and it meets everybody's need as opposed to be able to usurp it all for myself and use my children or my family for myself. Yep. So it's a collaboration type of atmosphere to face all of these things. Um, but we also need to be able to collaborate with the right spirit. And that's the spirit that I see in the Jesus of Scripture yeah. in the way he's showing me. Now, what is my set apart? My set apart is to be able to make disciples or others that are going to co-op, cooperate and collaborate with the understanding that we have a reason for being set apart. Mm. That's the way I would so good. I would put it. I like that. Jerry? Agreed. I think... Um, I love, yeah, collaborating is a great one. I was trying to articulate in my head of like, what is the, what's still a motivating, motivating communal attribute of us being part of a church together? I think it's the cooperation to to care. So I think that's the nugget that I'm taking away from with somebody who agreed has much, even as a pastor who works for a charitable organization known as the church, like I still am quite privileged and so what am I doing with that? I love how you put it as I can have a uh, serve me first and then whatever's left over is left over or uh, like communally uh, collaborate together to care for the world. Uh, uh, that's something I'm going to be chewing on and taking a look at my bank account, my use of time, my energy, my talents. Yeah. I'm I'm going to take us back in the conversation a bit. And and for me, what's, what's clicking um, or what I'm feeling convicted by is... Uh, taking those opportunities that I have through uh, cultural um, celebrations, whether it's something like Halloween or something else, or whatever, yep. and really taking the opportunity for that to be a um, a platform to build on in terms of establishing relationships with, with uh, my community, with the people in my own personal vicinity. Yeah. I'm an introverted person, and when I go home, I like to run inside and lock the door and not interact with the world outside, I feel personally convicted really to be involved. And, um, I, you know, I, I, it's hypocritical of me because on one hand, like I like to have that space and to, you know, kind of block the world out. And at the same time, like, I do feel like it is a bit of a shame comparing the world we're in now to even when I was growing up, people don't come out of their houses. Like people don't interact with their neighbors anymore. And there is a in uh, individualism to society that I feel like is only perpetuated by how I operate. Yeah. So that I'm being convicted to, to act differently going forward. Yep. Um, thanks everybody so much for joining us in this conversation today. I really enjoyed it and I hope you did too. We'll see you next time. Thank you.